0: Thank you so much, choir and orchestra and garrets. I think we're ready for Christmas, don't you? Uh, We have a really sense of what Christmas is about, what it meant to have Christ come into our world. The baby changes everything, changing us, changing today in our lives. And what a great way to celebrate with such great music and marking the season for you and me. Uh, Today, actually for a week, I'm going to be by myself, kind of by myself. I have a granddaughter living with me for a while while she's in college here. Uh, But my wife is heading out on a cruise right about now. She's probably heading toward the Caribbean as we were having church in this cold, rainy weather, and so uh, our uh, son and daughter-in-law won a cruise on KLTY, uh, and they decided to go Christmas season, and they could have invited me instead of Rhonda, my wife. I mean. <laughs> There were more than one option there when it comes to who wants to go on a cruise to the Caribbean, enjoy Belize, Honduras, uh, Cozumel, but Rhonda got that, and I'm glad she did. I'm pleased she's going to be able to enjoy being with our family there and uh, help watch uh, the 6 year old as well, while, uh, our, who's going on the cruise, while our son and his wife may have some free time occasionally without him, which is certainly a fun part of those type of events. Today, we're in the third week of a message series, A Baby Changes Everything, of course, talking about Christmas, you have that clearly defined, I think, by the music today and the season that we are in. And I want to give you an idea, though, what I, what, I, what I think this means for you and me. You know, the art of life, just as life I have standing in front of you, is a beating of my heart. Same for you, the beating of your heart. Your heart is what brings life to you. Without it, there's not any life. It's what pumps the oxygen where it needs to go, the, the fluids the nutrients. It just makes our bodies work. Uh, helps us think, and our mind work, has our hands and feet, Loves him work, and uh, keeps us awake during the worship service. That's all part of what the heart does for us. It's part of life. Uh, and that's the art of life is the beating of the heart. The art of the church, of the Christian life, is the beating of the heart of Christ within us. It's our, our worship, our connection, our belief, our faith, are consuming Christmas and the reality of God coming to our world in a beautiful way in the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. I believe absolutely the Christian life works and the church works because we each one bend the knee to Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's why we serve people. That's why we give it an offering. That's so why we come and celebrate. That's why we, and I talked about some of the things our church does, it's a glimpse of what does happen on just happened just on Saturday. It's who we are. It's what makes it work. It's the narrative in which we live, the beating heart of Christmas, Jesus Christ, the person of God in our heart and our lives and all we're about. The heartbeat of Christ within us, the grace of God in us, the salvation of God in us that causes us to do all we do and live like we live, the gift of compassion that writes from the Christmas story, a baby changes everything. I'm going to ask four questions I want you to think about for a moment. Very quickly, I'm going to go through these questions. I want you to think about how it interacts with what we're talking about today. The first is this, where does the passion to care come from? Not everybody cares about other people. Not everybody cares about those they don't know. Not everybody cares about the the least, the last, and the lost. Not everybody cares about anyone. Where does the compassion to care come from in our lives, especially as Christians in the church? Secondly, how do we serve and love freely and do so without resentment? For some people, it's easy to to begin doing things to serve and help them, but it doesn't always turn out like they want. They may not get the thank you. Are the appreciation, are the response, are the outcome they want in their service or giving or helping or whatever it might be. And they can find themselves resenting that very act of serving someone else or giving to the church or or blessing even someone in your family. Thirdly, why is this pattern of life directly connected to faith? Why is the gift of compassion directly connected to our faith, to faith that God is, that God exists? that God cares about us, that God holds us accountable to him. How does that connect? And fourthly, what does Christmas have to do with it? (laughs) You know, which is this season now, the birth of Christ, the incarnation we call it. What does Christmas have to do with it? Now I want to talk a while about uh, what we call the Lord's Supper, sometimes called the Last Supper. Uh, from that event, we have communion where we share the body and blood of Christ. We do that often first Sunday of the month. This year, we're going to be, this m- month, we're going to do it on Christmas Eve at 1130. It's so the only service we offer that on Christmas Eve is communion. Let me just explain a little bit of what, what went on that night. Uh, certainly, a few hours after the last supper of Christ with his followers, he was going to be taken to the cross and crucified. It was only a few hours away as he pauses to share the Passover with his 12 disciples, his 12 followers, those he'd been teaching for three years. And they share the Passover meal, which is a remembrance, a celebration of deliverance from bondage in Egypt long, long before that uh, by Moses and miracles. You probably know that story. So they do that. But at the end, he changes things. He lifted the bread, breaks it, my body broken for you the cup, and says, my blood shed for you. And then, if that's not enough, he stops and he gets a towel out, wraps it around his waist, and a basin pours water in it, and he begins kneeling at his disciples' feet. Now, back in that time, as you probably know, uh, they wore sandals, they wore, uh, had dusty feet, and an act of service was washing someone's feet when they came into your home. It's a normal recurring thing in their lives. And most often, the lowest, the youngest, uh, maybe, maybe the wife of the household, or the paid servant would be the one who would wash the feet of those above them. It's an act of service. The master or teacher would never do that, A rabbi, as Jesus was, which was be one of the highest valued people in his culture, would never do that. That was not something that was to be done. It was extremely out of the ordinary. And so he kneels at his own followers' feet and washes the dust off their feet. And then he says, as he does that, "As I have done for you, so I want you to do for others." And then he goes to the cross, or Gethsemane, then the cross. That's what's happening next. I have set you an example, he says, so that you should do as I have done for you, and you'll be blessed, he says, if you do this. If you live this way, your life is going to be full and good and blessed and rewarded, and oh, you will experience God in a way you will not otherwise, is what I believe he is saying. He washed the feet of a man who would deny him three times in a few hours while he is being crucified. He washed the feet of one because Judas was still there. He washed the feet of Judas who was going to betray him and turn him in to those who were going to kill him. He washed the feet of one who would deny him three days later or doubt him, excuse me, three days later, who would doubt that he was raised from the dead. Even until he saw him, he doubted that. He washed the feet of all those who would run for their lives in a few minutes while he was taken to be tried, crucified, put in a grave. Three days later, he would rise from the dead. So think about his action for you and me and what that means. So I believe this. I believe for those who have bent the knee to Christ that anything we do in service is a service to God. And Garrett sang that song so beautifully, didn't he? He sang that song representing Jesus for us. He sang that song saying, you've done it to anyone, you've done it to me, and that's Christmas. you've done anything, that could be anyone in your family, your life, your spouse, your friends, our homeless person, our special needs person, or someone who walks in the door and you say, I'm glad you're here, or volunteering on Christmas Eve to shake hands, say Merry Christmas to the thousands who will be coming to join us on that very special day. You've done it to me. And if we do all we do, all we do in helping and serving and loving and giving and forgiving other people and all the levels that that's lived out, we do that, there'll be no resentment. You can't resent serving Jesus, can you? You can't resist washing… Jesus' feet, if if you can, you can't resist that moment. You you, you can't regret that choice that I chose to give, I chose to love, I chose to forgive, I chose to welcome, I chose to serve because I'm choosing to do that to Jesus, to God. In doing so, we understand the level of how that leads into our life and where we find compassion at this level from that moves us in this kind of direction that's what it means. Now, I want to share a few Bible verses with you. Uh, Some are from the epistles, some are words of Jesus, and they simply, simply speak to where does the compassion come from, the gift of compassion. And the first one is Colossians 317. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything, please emphasize everything there, everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That means that all we do, everything can be done as an act of service, an act of worship, an act of faith, an act of love and compassion toward our God. For me, it might be loading the dishwasher. It might be going with, to Aldersgate with a, with a class in our church to serve those, those special needs young adults and, and men and women there in Brownwood. might be that. might be shaking hands with folks in church this morning. You know, by me saying, I'm so glad my wife's getting going on a cruise and have a great time. I, I'm so pleased she's going to be able to do that and enjoy that and spend that time with our family and, and those four to enjoy all that's going to be happening because that's what compassion's about. Uh, second with Colossians also, 3.23 and 24, whatever your task, that means whatever. The last one is everything. Now it's whatever your task. Put yourselves into it as it's as being done for the Lord. Since you know that from the Lord you will receive, there's the reward where it comes from, and you serve the Lord Christ in that act, that service, that giving, that, uh, that action, all that we're about in our life. And thirdly, uh, these are the words of Jesus, and they're the words that, that Garrett sang, representing Jesus in that song, beautiful song, I love that. When you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it to me. When you've served anyone, you've served me. You know, and, and if Christ came in and said, you can serve me today, Jesus says, I want you to do something for me. We'd say, yes, where, when, how, what, and who. We want to do it. We want to serve our Lord. And here's how you do it. That's how Christ, what Christ is about. And fourthly, Matthew 7:12, The golden rule, you might have heard, but uh, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Matthew 7:12. And we talk about how a baby changed everything these words that came from our Lord, birthed in Christmas season, in the incarnation, are how it changes things, how it changes how we relate, how we react, how we respond, and also how we initiate in the story of our own narrative of our life as people who say, I have been the need of Christ, that's changed me, and my church is about bending the need of Christ, so we're going to serve Zoe orphans in Africa, and you heard that announcement made a while ago. Uh, serving, serving thousands of them will continue to do so. What a great privilege to be able to serve Christ by saving the life of a Zoe orphan and changing their future together. Now, I'm going to tell a story that you might have heard, but I think it's so fitting today. It so, so brings this to light. I'm going to tell it again. It's about my wife, Rhonda. Uh, we've been married uh, in December 20th for 41 years. She was 18 when we got married. I was 21. Don't do that, but we did. Uh, 41 years. Some might have already done it, so it's too late. You know, we were very young. We grew up together, as, as many of you probably have. She did not grow up easy, and I can't understate or overstate what that was for her in her life. Uh, we do Angel Tree here. Well, she was an angel. Uh, she got many gifts Christmas time because someone else paid for her Christmas, or she would not have had one. Her story is very unique. Uh, her, her father and mother met in Key West, where her father's from. Uh, and they didn't do well together. Uh, They had her, uh, and then they moved to Massachusetts, where her mother was from, Uh, and then her father went back to Key West, and she was left to be raised by her mother. Uh, Her mother, and this is what all her mother's family says about her, even the last couple years, uh, that she was a bad mother. I mean, that's what, your mother was a bad mother, and she was. She was. In those seven years, being raised by her mother there in New Hampshire, actually where they moved out to live in a very small, almost shack in that area of the world, she was extremely neglected. In those few years, give you an idea what that was: Uh, when she started school to go in the first grade, uh, she she had to get herself to school. She had to go down to the bus stop. She had to get herself dressed. She had to feed her little sister. Uh, She had to uh, feed herself. She to somehow make all that work because her mother was usually incapacitated because of the night before. She wasn't able to actually do that for her own daughter. And so she didn't go to school very much because she just would forget. She couldn't tell what time it was. Uh, She'd get mixed up on the schedule and just not get to the bus stop, which is very important to her to do that. She wanted to go, but she she missed so many times she had to do the first grade twice, and that was very devastating to her in those years. Uh, She was basically hungry much of the time. We got to go back in October to see where she lived those seven years. The, the, the shack is long gone. It burned down, was never rebuilt where she lived. And she said, there's a house right there where our neighbor had a garden. And I would occasionally go in the garden and steal food in the garden. Uh, and one day, uh, the owner said, little girl, you don't have to steal it. Just take it. When you get hungry, just come get some food. So that's how, that's how she, for seven years of her life, was, was that way. She would often miss the bus because of that experience. Well, eventually her grandmother from Key West came to visit her and to see the kids, the little girls, and saw how deplorable conditions they lived in, how neglected they were, and how abused they had been in all kinds of ways. And so the grandmother basically put them in the car and said, we're going to take them back to Key West. and didn't tell anybody. Just took them. (laughs) You know, not what you should do, but what they did. She weighed 27 pounds at the age of seven. Give you an idea of where she was in her life those years. And she took him back to Key West. Now, she didn't see her mother again for until she was seventeen. And her mother came back to Key West to see the family down there and brought her five kids with her that she'd had in the meantime. Not married to anyone while she had those five kids. Brothers, five little brothers and sisters she'd never seen before, and brought them in the house, stayed a week or so. It didn't work very well. And she left again, only pausing long enough to tell Rhonda that it's your fault our marriage didn't work. It's why our marriage failed then and now. And that was her goodbye to a 17 year old girl, uh, telling her about when she was seven and 17 as well, and left. Uh, and that's her story. The only other contact we had was when we had our first child, Julie, who's gonna be 40 on her birthday. And we got a note uh, from her about that, congratulating it, but also reminding Rhonda that her life would have been much better, meaning that her mother's life would have been much better if Rhonda hadn't been such a bad daughter. And blamed her once again for a seven-year-old causing a divorce. I don't know how that happens, that's what she was told. We had no contact whatsoever for the next 40 years, zero. I had never met her mother I never met her mother. Her grandkids had never seen their grandmother on Rhonda's side. And that's the story. Until a year and a half ago, maybe almost two years ago, her sister, her younger sister, had kept some contact with her mother and said, do you know that your mother, our mother, is dying of cancer? And she asked, and she said she'd like to see you. And so Rhonda prayed about it, thought about it, talked to me about it, And eventually got in her car and she drove to Milton, Florida, in the panhandle of Florida to see her mother. She had not seen her in 40 years. And walked in the house, governed apartments, run down, awful place, and saw her mother who was, by the way, in unbelievably difficult condition. She basically alienated her five kids she'd had since. They had little to do with her life at all because she was not a good mother and she was a mean mother and she was not a good person. So she had no one. Uh, eventually, I got to go down too, she said, I, and I went with her as well. I remember going to the door, and she was on hospice care. She was dying of cancer. She was, in, she was bedridden, and she had to get up and answer the door. There was no one there. She was dying by herself. And Rhonda stayed with her and took care of her. I had to come back and forth. Obviously, I had things to do here, and so she stayed, and I, I came back and forth in those few months. This went on and she went back and forth, but she stayed for weeks and took care of her mother, her medication, helping her, bathing her, changing her diaper during that period of time. She will tell you, Rhonda will tell you, I had a good mother for a month or two, because during that season, she was a good mother. She tried her best to make up for what her life had been before that. I think it's an amazing moment that she experienced with that kind of thing. And then when she died, before death, she had one real concern, and that was that I don't have any money to bury myself. What am I going to do? And I said, tell tell your mother we'll pay for the funeral. And so we did. Pay for the cremation and then fulfilled her last request, which was I want to go back to Key West where it all began, where you got started, Rhonda, and I want you to put my ashes in the Key West Cemetery down there. So after the service, we walked from the the sanctuary of the Catholic church that she had her funeral in, walked from there, put her ashes in the the trunk of the car or the the back of the car, and made the one almost a full day trip it takes to get to Key West. And there we went to the the, uh, cemetery. Right away we did this. We didn't want to wait. And we had a service. We had our graveside service. I was the preacher and the husband, so I preached a service. Rhonda was the, the congregation. They were two of us. We both cried. And I want you to get a sense of, in that moment, Rhonda knelt before Jesus to do that for her mother. Because uh, that's, that's, for her, that's where it comes from. Because she had every reason to hate her mother, to say you're on your own, to be a bad person herself, to reject the choice to to live a good life because of such abuse she'd received as a young girl. When I met her, she was almost 18 and she was living in the breezeway of a very small home where the grandmother raised her and her roommate was a refrigerator because she had nothing. She had nothing. You know, but there in that place, she knelt before Christ. And that's, and there's no resentment. There was no resisting. Uh, there, There was only... This is what it's about for Christians. This is what she did. Now now I want to show you two pictures because we went back and, and got a chance to go back to Massachusetts last October. And I'll show you the first picture here. Now, she had not met this. This is her, her mother's siblings. Uh, there's her mother's brother on the far left. Uh, and there are uh, her mother's sisters in the middle. And that's her, her, her brother's, uh, uh, I mean her uncle's uh, a wife on the far right side. There's one lady not in the picture who's an also a, 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 these are all the siblings, and, and we went back up there to see her family, and we had no idea if they would accept or reject Rhonda, but she wanted to give it a shot. This family Massachusetts I've never seen, never talked to, don't know at all. And so we went back. Now, if you don't know my wife, if you're a visitor here, you don't know that my wife is four foot nine and three quarters. <laughs> so take a look at that crowd if I was in the picture, I'm a giant. Uh, when I walked into the house and they were so welcoming, they were ready, to, they were all there to see us. They're they going to see little Rhonda who they knew was born, but didn't, have, didn't know what happened to her life since. She's the oldest of all the bunch there. And so they, they brought her in uh, and they, the, the, the one there in the middle who's Aunt Rose uh, said, you feel like you're in the land of lily don't you? I'm thinking, yeah, I wouldn't have said it that way. But yeah, now that you mention it, it it's true because they're all all so little in that picture there. Uh, And and we didn't know how they were going to receive her. But let me show you the next picture. Uh, The next day they had a meal for us uh, and had us come over to the house. This was her uncle who provided the meal. All the family was there. And that table was just cramped. They kept bringing food out and food out and food out and dessert out and dessert out and dessert out. And we spent the evening there with the family. And, And, you know, for Rhonda... It was a kind of a full circle from those early days to this family. Now she gets Christmas cards from all these people she didn't even know she had. It's family. Her grandmother's now dead. She had no family left. They were all gone. There was no family. Rhonda had no family left but me and her own kids. Uh, and now she's got all these people. They talk on the phone all the time. Now I'm telling you the story so you can make an, an accurate connection with. It's because of Christmas that would never have happened without Christmas. She would never have gone back to her mother. She would never have been there when her mother died. She would never have taken the risk to go see her mother's family, who were the exact opposite of her mother. We thought they might be like her and thought, well, I hope not, Uh, but they weren't. They weren't like her at all. And she was able to restore a whole life that she lost. You know, 50, years, 50 52 years ago. So, so get a picture of Christmas and why we do what we do. It's the heartbeat of Christ in us. The heartbeat of Christ in the church is why we have a heart of compassion. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you give us today and for the Christmas good news. The story of love and faith and grace of serving. We thank you, Jesus, for washing our feet and our chance to turn around and wash yours with a mother, with a friend, homeless person, some nearest in church, a guest who's come today, welcoming people on Christmas Eve, giving. May it be so for us as we are for you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.